It's Vancouver's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Fay, hub builder and co-host of British Columbia's podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights from entrepreneurs from across Canada. We talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen here so you can listen, discover, and engage. Today, I am super excited have Martin Mayer with me, who is uh, the Prince of Piano, Canada's Prince of Piano. I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Martin, and then we'll jump into his, uh, into his story. Canada's Prince of Piano is how the Beijing Times describes Martin, and his music has been defined as instrumental fusion, a combination of smooth jazz, classical pop, and rock. He has European roots and a good share of thoughtfuls and longing soul with a North American education, and of course, a healthy dose of high octane energy. I've had the privilege of already talking to Martin a little bit. So I'm super excited to talk to Martin, in particular as a creative entrepreneur here in Canada. So first of all, welcome, Martin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's quite the introduction. Maybe I could hire you as my publicist. (laughs) Well, and tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey from education to how you got to be a, a professional. Sure. So that's a great question. So I I started piano late. I started when I was 11 years old. Um, I fell in love with music that was being played by my my elementary school music teacher uh, in in choir class. And I was just listening to the piano and sort of listening to the sounds that were coming out of this instrument and watching her hands do this sort of magic across the keys and completely fell in love with it. Uh, My parents bought me my first piano, signed me up for World Conservatory of Music. Um, my piano teacher sort of pushed me through various levels. She had me do four grades in one year, which to mm. me was kind of like, okay, you know, if, if you have the drive and, you know, you can do that, then, um, then why not? So, so that was exciting. And so as I was studying classical music, I appreciated the technique and everything that I was learning, but classical music wasn't for me. I never saw myself as a classical concert pianist. So somewhere along the way, I started listening to Elton John, Yanni, John Tesh, John Williams, Dave Foster, and um, really sort of fell in love with this, as, you, as it's called, instrumental fusion. Back in the 90s, it was, uh, it was called New Age. I'm totally dating myself now. I remember the days before <laughs> the internet was around and social media and all this or sort of You mentioned of John, David Foster. So, you know, we're already, we're already <laughs> in the same category. <laughs> totally. <laughs> So what, what happened with that is that I started writing this, uh, this type of music. And when I was in high school, I was actually looking to get into journalism. That was, um, somehow there was, a, there was a shift at some point where I said, I want to be a news anchor. I want to be what the people at Global National are doing now, or you know, the, the person that sort of delivers, um, delivers the news. And I think that sort of came through from, uh, from my mom's journalism background. Uh, my dad's background uh, was as a famous singer in the Czech Republic. His father was an organist in the church, and his mom, my grandmother, taught violin. So the the music side is definitely stronger on our family, but somehow I gravitated towards journalism. So in, in high school, I first got bitten by um, composition um, when uh, CBC came to film a commercial at, at our local high school. And I don't know why, but I sort of had this idea of saying to them, uh, you know, do you have anybody to write music for this? And they said, well, no, we normally just use, you know, sort of canned, uh, canned stock music. And so that was my first foray into writing something that, that actually got on the air 
Um, from there, I read in a magazine that um, if you are waiting for record companies to discover you on the couch, you're going to be waiting a long time. So I, I jumped at the <laughs> chance to um, say, you know, I need, I need to do something that, it, that is going to get people's attention to acknowledge me as a, as a serious musician. Took out a $35,000 loan at age 19, hired an orchestra, a band, venue, uh, film crew, live recording. I know, right? It's just like, go big or go home. Did this debut concert, threw it up on my website, and uh, within a year, I got an email from an arts agency in China inviting me on a six-week, 16-city national concert. So that's, that's sort of my entrepreneurial journey from, from studying to that, that first tour. And I'd, I'd never been on tour. I'd, uh, I'd done, uh, you know, the, the solo concert. I'd played in my dad's dance band since I was uh, 14. And so that gave me stage presence and uh, mm -hmm. being able to talk to people and uh, sort of engage that way. But I've got to ask, who yeah. loaned you $35,000 when you were out of <laughs> to do a concert? It's, um, it's a wonderful financial institution in Alberta by the name of ATB Financial. I know ATB, um, good old Alberta Treasury branch. ATB was fantastic. Um, they said, we can loan you the money, but you need a co-signer. And so okay. mom, was, mom was great in, in saying, you know, I'll co-sign the loan. And I had no idea I was going to pay it back. I had no <laughs> idea whether the record was going to sell, whether the video was going to do anything. But I had seen, you know, Yanni do Live at the Acropolis. I'd seen John Tesh do Live at Red Rocks. You know, those guys had major power sort of behind them. You know, John Tesh was known for years on Entertainment Tonight. Um, and Yanni was known very much in, in New Age circles, and, and people were adopting the music that way. But I didn't have the budget to do that type of thing. Um, but I knew that I needed to do something. So I did what was sort of within my scope. And then it just, it just went. And what platform did you put your concert on? YouTube or what? On my website, martinmayer.com. Okay, so you had the website, put the recording online, yeah. and said, "Let's something's going to stick here. You just had the wherewithal and the confidence to believe something was going to stick. Something, something was going to happen, and, and what ended up showing up was this email that sort of read, and, and I still have it to this day because it, it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the one email that, really changed my life you know you look at all the emails that we get today and that one really read like one of those dear beneficiary types you know they're just like oh well, you know, we, we are this beautiful arts and agency from from china in in this area and we'd like to invite you on on this tour and i i forwarded it to my manager at the time and i said what do you think of this he said well what's the worst that we can happen we respond, they respond, we go back and forth. And what ended up happening is that we went back and forth a couple of times. It turned out that it was a legitimate company. They flew to Canada to see a concert here and then sent airplane tickets after the contract. Wow. And so, yeah, it, that's just sort of how that journey went. Now, you also mentioned a manager. So, it, you know, it, I mean, I think one of the things that defines, you know, an entrepreneur versus, um, an amateur maybe is taking that risk. I mean, that's such a, I love that story that getting that loan where you have no idea how you're going to pay it off, usually backed up by friends and family in that yes. first, first, next no piece, go -go, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, then you get to the next level. Well, now, now you're having to hire a manager or co-produce with a manager. Um, how do you get to that next level? Or um, how did you get from to that next level of having crew and ongoing performances? 
Yeah, so um, that's a good question. I, I think around the time that, that I put together that concert, I was reading, uh, I think it was uh, Music Directory Canada. It was a book that was published out from, uh, I, I forget the name of the publisher, but it, it, it was sort of this directory of the who's who in, uh, in the entertainment agency in, in Canada. You have Bruce Allen, uh, you know, a development agency, and, um, and I stumbled uh, across a manager uh, in, in Edmonton where I was living at the time. Um, I only moved to, uh, to BC in 2014. You know, I had done this concert and I figured that I needed to have somebody that was going to back me as much as I uh, was going to back myself. And so I reached out to this guy and I said, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've done. And between the concert and the tour is sort of where, uh, where he and I met. So, you know, I, I didn't have a lot going on at the time except for just trying to push this record and, and uh you know, uh, playing some of the local, uh, some of the local TV shows where, you, you know, they would have guests on, on the morning show or on the late night entertainment show. And so, so that was sort of my, uh, my way of, uh, of going about that. I basically, I basically still do to this day what I did back then, which is reach out to people that um, I feel uh, would be a great fit for what I'm doing and say, hi, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're doing that I find interesting. I think there's a synergy in terms of what we can do in terms of a, you know, multi-beneficial relationship. I'd like, love to have a conversation, whether it's by mm -hmm. video, you know, back in those days, it was just, you know, you, you, you picked up the phone and you went, hi, do you want to meet over coffee? <laughs> you know, none of this, none of this texting uh, today. So that's how that happened. Okay. Well, and I'm curious to a little bit the business of, I, I understand touring and concerts and you know there's uh and there's a business model in that what else does martin mayor do what what other work do you do that's a great question and and i don't think about that too much because i i, I go okay this is all that i have to do today but one of the best ways that somebody wants described uh what i do is that martin understands both words of the word music business so you've got there's the music and then there's there's the business side of it you know, when, when people look at something, um, like my most recent project was a 20 city concert tour of China uh, this past September. That was a year's worth of work leading up to that. You right. have contracts, you have flights, you have creating the program, creating the video, uh, you know, does the program structure and how the program is created, does it work for a concert hall as well as mm -hmm. um, performing in a theater? when you think about talking to an audience, when you have a show structured like that, some of the best stuff is ad-libbed, but you have to have structure in terms of what you're going to talk about. So the show is really sort of formatted in a way so that, you know, it, it runs top to bottom, but it has a flow and a process and stories that tie um, the songs and why I selected the song or how the song was written or why the song is important in the journey, you know, going all the way back to music that I discovered in China on the first tour or uh, the first song that I learned on piano that was um, a pop song, the first song that I got away from classical music. So it's doing things like that. It's, you know, registering things for, with SOCAN for performance royalties, mm -hmm. uh, licensing, you know, the, the music is a big part of it, but, you know, even at the time when, uh, when I parted ways with my manager, I decided that if I was ever going to have a manager again, it would be a co-management or a co-agent type of scenario because I've been so entrenched and involved with my music since uh, the beginning that if somebody says to me, you know, what is the best approach in terms of what we need to do with your music in terms of how it will work in this market or this market or that market, 
most of the time I'm, I'm pretty good at, you know, saying to folks, you know, if, if you wanted to present my music in Nanaimo, for example, I would say that. Which the we do, that you, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. I would say probably the best venue would be the Port Theatre. They would say, okay, so what's the marketing strategy? And the, the marketing strategy would be lined out, um, you know, in a document that says, this is the demographic. These are the types right. of people that have attended this show. This is the type of market that you go after. And then you tie in the, the Asian component so that because the, um, the piano is so revered in Asia, in, in China and Asia, piano is like what guitar is in North America. And so when people say, okay, so outside of the, you know, the bass demographic, how do we expand it and make it interesting? Well, the show is a combination of original music, world famous songs, things like Pirates of the Caribbean, Titanic and whatnot, and popular Chinese folk songs. And so people who have um, immigrated to Canada from China always love hearing songs that they used to sing in school when they were younger. They're familiar with, or yeah. They're familiar with. And so laying all of that stuff out, when you take a show that, let's say, would be presented in November, you have to back up six months, and there's all the preparation and planning and all that sort of stuff. And I always make myself available for venues that, uh, that need marketing support or have questions or, you know, it's more than just, here's the show, you do the work. The, the best synergy is when I can provide that, that support to them. Well, and I think that's a bit of an evolution of um, sort of collaboration partnerships too. The difference between a hired manager, you said, and a co-producer. Is that how you defined it? I would say um, co-management or co-agent. Yeah. Yeah. And would that be somebody that follows Martin or is that somebody that would be kind of community based, like somebody in China, somebody here, somebody East Coast, you know, there's going to be different needs and different cultures and scenarios. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I, I would say probably the best way to describe it is that, you know, back then I had a manager that said, I think this is the best approach, you know, to this. And, and I I'd, I'd sort of went, okay, you're the expert. I'm going to trust you on that. Now it would uh, be more of a conversation of like, okay, so this is the opportunity. How do, how do we capitalize on, on various things and making sure that, um, that it's a unified decision and that it's mm -hmm. a, a unified front because outside of myself and you know uh my loving family nobody's gonna have my back as much as much as i would and right. i would say that to any entrepreneur the biggest champion has to be you um you're the you're the one that's going to step in that ring and raise your hand and say i'm a serious musician or i'm a serious business owner you know, nobody's going to champion you as much as, as you do. So a lot of people say, well, a manager, an agent can get you in a lot of places. Yes, they can. The more that you ride together in tandem, the better and I think more successfully you can get some. A couple of questions for you. One, uh, how do you balance? I think this is a general question for a lot of creative entrepreneurs. So people that are, that maybe started with piano or music or art yeah. and they pursued it as a passion something mm -hmm. that they were driven and and passionate about younger or as they matured and then they decide to make it a business you know I, I i have a few creative entrepreneurs around us here at the network hub and their biggest fear is always oh if i go out there and invest in the business of i'm going to lose all the opportunity to do what i love doing which is painting or or composing how do you balance that yourself? I think you have to take that risk. 
I, th I think in order to move forward with anything that is um, beyond a passion, you have to um, you have to innately be be willing to step out and say, you know, if, if somebody says we need you to play with the Vancouver Symphony tomorrow, uh, the answer is yes, and then figure out how to do it. You know, one of the, I think one of the greatest things that I heard recently was uh, Renee Zellweger coming into her sort of reboot of her career after many years of being away. And she said, you know, I, I don't know how to act, but I'm acting so that they think that I know how to act. And one of these days, you know, they're going to fire me because I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I think that's just such a, such a brilliant thing. And I remember um, a local actress here that many years ago uh, was on this show on ABC called Once Upon a Time. And, and she got approached to say, you know, we need you to play this role and you need to have uh, this talent for it. And she said, yeah, I can do that. I had no clue how to do it, but went and learned it and uh, made that work. So I would say the, the biggest thing, if, if somebody says, you know, how do you turn it from a passion into, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna take the risk. Life in general is a risk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think we've sort of seen that in, in recent times, but more so from an entrepreneurial and an artistic sense, you have to put it in, you have to put in, you have to put in that work. Um, somebody that I've admired for many years, um, who just signed with uh, Bruce Allen. And for those who aren't familiar, Bruce Allen is manager to Anne-Marie, uh, Brian Adams, uh, Michael Buble, and Jan just signed with him a number of years ago. She had decided a long time ago that she was parting with her manager and decided that she was going to take things on on her own. And she had built it up to a level where, I think if, if I remember the story correctly, it was Bruce that had reached out to her and said, I'd love to work with you. Those types of things don't happen. Like if I hadn't taken the risk on that concert, I might've still been playing with my dad's dance band well into my twenties. Um, you know, I went to uh, McEwen university to take, you know, two degrees, one for piano performance and one for composition. I know people that there was a fantastic student in uh, with my piano teacher who was brilliant at classical music and was amazing. And she had the feel, she had the touch, she had the, that sort of natural talent. And when I was in Edmonton about two years ago doing a homecoming concert, I asked my piano teacher, who was so sweet and showed up with her family, 94 years old, and she's sitting front row right where she can watch me play. And I went, <laughs> I asked her, so how is, how is so-and-so doing? And she's like, oh, you know, she got married and she, she has kids and now she's uh, a neurosurgeon or something like that. And I asked, does she still play piano? She's like, no. So it's, you have to, you have to take the risk you know, business, um, art, it, it can mm -hmm. work together, but it has to be together. You can't have one without the other. That's super interesting. So my next question is, what are some of the unique considerations of a, an entrepreneur whose brand and business is intricately tied to a particular individual? You're you know talking about anybody that I might know. Mm, maybe. <laughs> Right is you know it's always a risk versus you know a, a cons maybe a more consumer brand versus a Martin Mayer. What what does a person need to consider as they're you know looking at the evolution of their their either personal brand as a business or a a different style as they launch into the entrepreneurial space? I think that's a really great question. When when I ventured into music, I knew that I needed to have something that. Um, not to not to fall back on, but I knew I needed to have something that while the music was 
was taking off that um, I would be making an income with. That, through various things, ended up being graphic and web design. It, it, was, an, it was an industry that, that changed a lot. I had done a lot of custom web work, custom design work. And I remember somebody asking me a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, you had all these, uh, these contracts in place that, you know, outlined this is the project, this is the scope, this is the timeline and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, you have proofs that you asked people to sign off on so that they were sure that it was what they wanted. Why so meticulous? Why so detailed oriented? And I said, pick up that business card in the corner. What does it say? It says Martin Mayer Productions Inc. on it. I said, exactly. If all of a sudden somebody around town is going, oh, well, you know, that Martin Mayer guy screwed me out of a payment or didn't deliver what I wanted, they're not just going to tack Productions Inc. on it and say, oh, well, it's a, it's a separate entity away from the person. Mm. It's still my name attached to it. That has to do with, and this should be first and foremost for any entrepreneur in any business is reputation is first and foremost. You have one chance to make an impression and your reputation, you know, is, is everything beyond that. I don't know if that changes for companies that have, you know, where a proprietor or an owner has a different name for the company than they do themselves. You know, for, for me, I don't think that that would change. But when you look at something like that, I think integrity and I think business ethics are key, whether you're using your mm. name or something like that. Because, uh, you know, if it's called, I don't know, uh, Paint24, it's still your company. Yes, you can, you know, wrap it up and start over, but it's, um, you know, nothing's, nothing's going to have the same type of integrity feel as putting your, putting your name behind name it. On it. What about, you know, you have some revenue streams to hopefully guarantee in the future, I'm thinking Tina Turner insuring her legs, right? Mm -hmm. is, is, is Martin insured for his hands over and above what an, a standard other person in business would? What, what, are, what are some of those unique factors as a, as a talent specific? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question too. The, the one thing that was really interesting about this last tour is because of things that that changed along the way as i as i've been doing these tours over the past 18 years is that they they progressively got uh they got bigger and and they had higher risks to them and they were um they ended up being presented by sort of the live nation version uh in in china the amount of insurance that i that i had to take out for this last tour was in one way both comforting but also staggering to think about because you think about okay so there's um, cancellation and, and non-appearance. You know, what happens if, heaven forbid, something happens and I have to miss a concert because I'm in the hospital or something like that. Mm -hmm. You have to consider that the promoter's out money. They have to refund uh, tickets. They have marketing costs that they have to absorb and all that sort of stuff. One small quick thing, and, and this is more so in, in Canada than it is abroad, but in Canada, if you're an incorporated company, doesn't matter whether you're one person or 15 or a sole proprietor, there's two different levels of risk. If I don't show up for a concert, say at the Port Theater, which I would never do because Andy would be backing it. If I don't show up and it's an incorporated company, the that particular theater can only go after what the company has or owns. It can't take anything that I personally own. 
Whereas a sole proprietor, somebody that isn't incorporated, anything and everything is on the table. Do you remember back, I think it was in the 90s or 2000s when Enron had that big scandal and everything just kind of collapsed and disappeared. And people were amazed about the fact that the CEOs and executives of that company were able to keep those multi-million dollar mansions Mm -hmm. in Florida. Enron, owners. Individuals, yeah. Individuals, company, completely separate. If it was a sole proprietorship, anything and everything is um, is on the table. So going over and above beyond, yeah, absolutely. There's a cancellation and non-appearance, you know, and, and that also covers me where, you know, if, if something gets canceled because of force majeure or an act of government, you know, if it's a concert within a stretch of a week, well, that sort of uh, falls into the fee that, that I charge. Um, and so if, it, if it's something that is covered by, by the insurance, then, mm-hmm. then absolutely. Uh, Tina Turner insuring her legs for, you know, whatever it is, I think is, is interesting. If anything, I, in that scenario, would be wanting to get, you know, vocal cord insurance if there is a, such a thing. Right. I, know, okay. I know that there is, um, you know, hand insurance for, uh, for pianists. I know that, um, but and it, and it's one of those things that you know if if it is your livelihood and if it is your if it is your craft, then you know you should absolutely um, have it insured. It's, now, it's not different than business insurance, right? Let's just talk a little bit about where you live. Now we're across the pond from each other, so you're in Vancouver at the moment. Is there anything distinctive about Vancouver that stands out for you as as why you love living there? I would say when the the first time that I visited here was in 2000 and I fell in love with the energy of the city. There is something innately sort of walking around and feeling that that sort of buzz of energy that uh, that the city sort of exudes that um, I haven't really found anywhere. Now this is uh, coming from somebody that that was born in Prague and uh, and moved to Canada in 1989 and uh, my parents settled on Edmonton and I was there for for 15 years. Uh, as, as I like to say, 15 years too long in minus 31 degree temperatures where, you know, it's just like... Careful, I have fellow podcast hosts in Edmonton. Oh, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with Edmonton. I, I love it. The, the, the biggest thing that I found as a challenge as a pianist was, was the fact that minus 31 going to school, gloves or not, you know, coming back and then having to practice for an hour. It was challenging. But uh, shout out to Edmonton and Calgary, great cities. Vancouver. There's something about, um, like I said, the, the energy, but it's also the, the inspiring aspect of being here and uh, just having access to the water and having access to mm-hmm. you know, the mountains and, and being able to, uh, to get away from the city and, and make it a quick jaunt to, to Whistler or out in Harrison Lake. There's a number of lakes around uh, Vancouver. Sassamad is one of my favorites, just, uh, just over in Port Moody. It's just such a great place to live. And... I can't see myself living anywhere else at this point, maybe in Europe. And I would say probably that because, you know, my style of music is, um, is more popular in Asia and in Europe. When we talked a little bit on a, on a side conversation, uh, at least you engaged in the conversation about the Canadian music scene. My frustration where there was a, there was a, you know, Vancouver Island talent, you know, who's already got online, some notoriety, but uh, you know, in order to make it big, of course, headed down to the states. Yeah, or... I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> and so my question is, why do we? And, and part of it's culture for us. You know, we're we're not showboats in Canada. You know, we're kind of the make a lot of stuff happen, but uh, we don't necessarily need the the big show. 
But what do you think is the gap in the Canadian industry or what should we be looking forward to in order to attract and retain our talent here and make music a viable profession without having to export our talent? I honestly, if I'm if I'm being completely serious, I, I don't know that Canada is in a position to make that happen. And and the reason for that is because we we don't we don't have the uh, the market to to sustain you know homegrown talent just within um, within Canada. Sean Mendes was signed in the U.S. Justin Bieber was signed in the U.S. David Foster is known primarily as a producer and hit songwriter to American artists and lives in Los Angeles. You know, there's this whole notion of you have to go away and do it somewhere and come back and be recognized. I've been touring China off and on for over the past 18 years, and I can have a successful concert in Canada that is being presented by somebody and um, say to them, yeah, let's talk about, you know, doing a, a new version of the show and presenting it two years down the line. Okay, we'll think about it. That's the sort of conversation. I remember coming back a number of years ago and, uh, and I had applied to one of the uh, Canadian music conferences to showcase for presenters across Canada that could present the show while in a smaller capacity because the, the, the venues in China tend to range sort of between two to 5,000 people. So it, it, it's a much larger sort of grander scale, whereas the rooms that I might tend to play in, in Canada sort of hover between uh, two to 300 people. So I had applied to this conference and I'd, I'd sent them all my materials, including all the tours and, and things like that. And, and uh, information about shows being sold out and you know ticket sales and all that sort of stuff. They wrote back and said, we can't offer you a showcase spot, uh, but we still think that you should attend the conference. So I wrote back and I said, so I'm curious with everything that I've done, what is it that I can do you know, better next time? That's one thing that um, when you go talk, back to talking about risk, if there's a risk you take and you, it doesn't work out, you still take that as a learning experience and go, okay, <clears throat> what have I learned from this that I can apply to the future? Because whether it's mistakes or failures or successes and triumphs, all those things together still build that road and path that, that you continue on. What they ended up saying was, and I, and I still find this interesting, the quote was, our presenters wouldn't know what to do with you, followed immediately by saying, but we still think that you should buy a booth at the trade show and meet these presenters <laughs> in person. And I, and I thought to myself, <clears throat> I mean, one aspect that these people don't know what to do with me, even though I'm saying this is the marketing plan, this is the strategy, this is everything. If you take mm -hmm. this and literally follow it step by step and ask me to, to support you in you know, presenting a concert, um, I will 100% take it on. But at that point to say, you know, well, you should totally get a booth. I, I, I knew that that was a thing of like, well, we don't know what to do with you, but we'd still like you to invest in our trade show. Right. You know, please, please buy a booth for $400, uh, which to me is, you know, somebody would say, well, would you take that risk? And I said, well, it's, it's, I don't consider that a risk. I, I don't consider that a, um, a good use of time because if, if the executive director of this conference that has been running for many years is saying our presenters wouldn't know what to do with you, then, then what am I doing there, right? I don't know that the Canadian music industry can do anything that, that would, uh, I mean, we had Canadian Idol and, and I think this goes back to you know, the, the question that you sort of posted on online that, that you mm -hmm. tagged me in is 
all of these artists, Celine Dion went to the States, Sarah McLaughlin, Brian Adams, you know, the, the Backstreet Boys got uh, famous in Germany first before they were recognized in the US. Interesting. There's, there's all this sort of stuff. And now we're saying, I was like, oh, well, you know, Michael J. Fox is one of our own. Um, I don't know that Michael has lived in Canada, uh, you know, most of his career. There's, there's Canadians that, that do, you know, exceptionally well that still live in Canada, but not at the, you know, we had Canadian Idol a number of years ago. Can you name any of the people that either went on that show or won? You know, you think about the number of seasons that have been around for American Idol. Kelly Clarkson was the first season winner. You've got Carrie Underwood, um, Jennifer Hudson did really well. Uh, Clay Aiken had a beautiful voice, but basically disappeared. And Ruben Studdard, who won that contest, I think put out one disc and, and, and that was it. Canada has a music industry where Jan Arden, a number of years ago, released an album and in the first two weeks sold a million copies and her record company deemed it a failure. I think that pretty, pretty much sums up sort of, you know, the state of the Canadian right. music industry. How is technology and the Internet of Things disrupting the more traditional career paths um, from your perspective? So I really love this question because um, <laughs> I could go back to the day where it was, you know, if you have a CD and you want to get it into HMV, you have to go uh, and, and use a distributor to do that. And so the way that the model worked is that, you know. I'm giggling. I'm sorry. Are there still HMV stores? I don't there, <laughs> there, there aren't. But, it, but here's what's interesting about that is that, you know, back uh, when I was buying uh, John Tesh and John Williams and Elton John records, you would go and, and you would get one of these CDs for $24. And because I looked into at the time that I did that first concert, I went uh, to look and see how this would work. That $24 disc um, gets sold to HMV um, by the distributor at $12. The distributor um, buys it from the artist at $6. So on, an, on a $24 record, the artist mm -hmm. is not making $6. Fast forward now past all the stuff where Napster said, uh, you know, we want to create what everyone has now, which is the iTunes store and the mm -hmm. Google Play store and mm -hmm. Spotify and Amazon and all this sort of stuff. The record company said, no, people are going to buy CDs. And they said, well, no, we're going to disrupt it in such a way so that even at the time people were pirating music, that isn't the case anymore. Now you have independent artists have, or, you know, all the artists in the world that are musicians, whether you're independent, small label, big label, have access to put their music on any of the streaming platforms, Apple iTunes, Apple Music, YouTube, Spotify, or anything like that. Nowadays, it, there's still distributors, but they're called aggregators. And, and the way that it works is that you can, take, uh, you can take an album and you can go to a distributor that'll say, okay, I'm going to charge you $40 a year to upload this to any of the streaming platforms around the world. And it costs you $40. And if I'm traveling to Japan, somebody says, where do I find your music? You know, it's, it's iTunes Japan. And there it is. It's literally right. accessible anywhere uh, in the world. Back then, it was you had, uh, if you wanted to be wow. an HMV, you needed to produce 30,000 records that were shipped to the distributor that were provided to HMV. And HMV would pay the distributor only when, uh, you, would, um, when you would make the sales and when they would report the sales. So on that $24 disc, you would get uh, $6. Depending on which just, uh, aggregator you go with, it's $9.99 in the, uh, in the iTunes store, and you can get between $7.99 to $8.99 of that back to you. 
So in, in comparison, when you wow. know, we go back to talking about risk, you have mm-hmm. 30,000 uh, pieces of stock that you have to provide, $24 of which you're only getting six, uh, you know, six bucks. That's $180,000, you know, that essentially, and, and, mm-hmm. and 30,000 CDs was insanely expensive to, to build. Now with social media, now with YouTube and Spotify and all this sort of stuff, one of the things that I was asking somebody the other day, because even though I, I don't work with a manager at, at, um, at this time, I still like to reach out to people in the industry and say, you know, this is what's going on. If I'm, if I'm going to this trade show or conference, what is best to take? You know, is it, mm-hmm. is it an old school CD? Is it a download card? Is it a USB key? He said very simply, business card, your name, your contact information, and a QR code that somebody can scan that takes you to either your website or Spotify. That's it because you're easy to find. Yeah. Easy to find on the web. You're easy to find on social media. You're easy to find. The easier it is for somebody to find you, the more likely they're, uh, they're going to be able to discover your music. So clearly there's almost no barrier to entry, right? To start putting yourself out there as a creative. But how do you cut through? Is there a magic formula from Martin's perspective on how to cut through the Internet of Things to get a big enough audience to be able to have this as a, as a professional career? Magic formula is best answered by an idol of mine that uh, really was paramount to uh, me getting into this, this level of music. And that gentleman's name is John Tesh. After many years of watching his specials and listening to his radio show and whatnot, I finally had the chance to meet John uh, in Seattle this past November. I remember going up to him at the end of the show and I said, I'm just going to totally geek out fanboy here. I've been listening to you <laughs> the past 25 years. Live at Red Rocks changed my life as much as it did yours because it gave me that push to say, I want to take this risk and I want to do this. And because of that risk, I've been touring, uh, you know, China over the past 18 years. And I have, and I have you to thank, uh, thank for that. I was not expecting to get this big, massive hug and, uh, and an invitation for coffee the next day and to play for him. Um, when, when you think about, you know, people that you, that you admire and that you aspire to, uh, to be like, um, this was probably the best ideal situation that, that could have happened. We had coffee. I had a chance to play for him. Uh, he offered me his personal number to stay in touch and, you know, we chat every now and then, but his, um, his best answer to magic formula is there is no magic formula. It's grit. It's hard work and putting in in the time. And the biggest thing that I that I say that I go back to is that if I look back and go and somebody said, if you had to do it all over again, would you do that first concert? I go, yeah, absolutely, because you have to you have to take that um, that, take that, that plunge, take that risk, right? Um, you know, even somebody like um, like Tesh, who was hugely known for Entertainment Tonight, when he took the idea for Live at Red Rocks to PBS. They said, mm, it's not really our thing. You don't have a following. You know, people watch you on ET. You're doing one show a year and you're selling, you know, five records a week or something like that. He ended up spending $1.2 million of his own money to produce it and send it to PBS with the off chance that they might air it. Wow. And this is somebody that had a massive following. You know, 20 million people were watching Entertainment Tonight in, in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and so when, when somebody like that has to take that huge risk, 
that speaks to to the rest of us to go there is no magic formula you know when when i think about back on my days in graphic design and web people would say well how do i get the number one ranking on google you can't <laughs> unless you have the domain for for the longest time you're doing a search engine optimization you're yeah. creating new content and all that sort of stuff there is no magic formula and biggest heat of warning is because the internet is now in such a way that people can literally post anything that they want. Anyone that is promising you number one on Spotify, number one on iTunes or any sort of number one thing, I would totally stay away from that. Now, if you do get an invitation for a concert tour in China, at least read it twice because <laughs> yeah, it might be legit. But when, when I write a book in my life at some point, uh, <laughs> I think the title will be uh, From Basement Piano to Concert Halls in China, the one email that Wow, super cool. Martin, I have to ask, and uh, you can say no, but could you give us a one-minute sort of experience with Martin? Um, I can. This is, this is a very different experience that, that you're having than, than you would have in, um, in, in concert with me. But of course. We'll, do, we'll, we'll work uh, on that in the future. <laughs> or theater, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Martin, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on Canada's podcast. Any last comments or how can we follow up with you? I know we have martinmayermusic.com. Is that your yes. website? Okay. That's correct. And uh, no shameless plug, but this is my latest album called Unbreakable, available on, uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Um, you can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com uh, forward slash I'm Martin Mayer. Same thing with uh, Instagram. Um, I am available by email if uh, if entrepreneurs and whatnot would like to uh, to reach out. The 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 biggest thing that I found is that there were a lot of people that were supporting me when I was getting started, uh, whether it was answering my questions and and to this day that that still happens. I still reach out to people. So if folks have questions about you know entrepreneurial uh, stuff, um, I'm certainly happy to uh, to answer that by by email. And um, biggest piece of advice that I have for anybody that is an entrepreneur, take the risk. You'll be glad that you did because at the end of the day, when you know everything is said and done, you'll have known that you uh, led a rich life that gave you opportunities by taking that chance. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Angie. It's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to British Columbia's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters and write a review for us on iTunes. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Angela Fay. See you next time.